Good morning, church. Today's sermon text is coming from Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13. Numbers 20, 1 through 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain, figs, or vines, or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went to the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Amen. Webster's Dictionary defines frustrated as feeling discouragement, anger, and annoyance because of unresolved problems or unfulfilled goals, desires, or needs. If you have spent any time in this world, then you know what it is to be frustrated. In fact, to drive in Atlanta traffic is to know what it is to be frustrated. Amen. It is an emotion that, if we were honest, we exhibit far too often. But is it something? Is it an emotion? Is frustration something that we should overlook or pass off as normal behavior? We get frustrated with our, our children. Frustration arises from our jobs or, or our life circumstances. Uh, we get frustrated with the behavior of, of others. It has been woven so tightly into the fabric of our lives, we think that it's okay, or we, we brush it off. But the truth of the matter is, frustration is dangerous. In fact, frustration is one of those respectable sins like, like anxiety that we tolerate because in our minds, it's not that bad. I mean, who doesn't get frustrated? But what we will see in our text this morning 
is that frustration is a sin. And when not dealt with, it easily leads to failure. Frustration leads to failure. The children of Israel are roughly 38 years into their wandering in in the desert. You remember, we talked about this last week, after the 10 spies brought back the false report, and the people believed them rather than Joshua and Caleb as discipline for their unbelief. The Lord told them that they would spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness before being able to enter into the promised land. It had been a tough 38 years, marked with waiting and wandering and death. In fact, as they are poised to seek to enter into the promised land, once again attempt to enter in, the congregation of Israel is made up of the children of the people who were rescued out of, out of Egypt. Many of their parents had died or were on their deathbed. The circumstances had begun to, to get to them. They were were tired, and what was in their hearts began to reveal itself. We read these words beginning in verse 2 of Numbers chapter 20. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The the congregation of Israel is frustrated with their situation. There's no water. The manna and the quail that they have been eating is getting old, and they want Moses and Aaron to fix it. When you listen to this, they sound exasperated. But here is the important thing to remember. Frustration doesn't come out of nowhere. Frustration is the manifestation of a heart that is out of whack. When you are frustrated, it means that there are deeper issues, deeper root problems that need to be dealt with. For Israel, there were several. We're going to talk about them. There there were several. And and I suspect that as we look at at their heart issues that gave way to their frustration, I, I suspect that we are going to find that they are often the same issues that lead to our frustrations. Israel's first issue was their disobedience. Their disobedience. It is the preacher in Ecclesiastes that tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. And oh, oh, how true that is. I know, I know we like to think 
that nobody has ever dealt with the situation that we are dealing with. We believe that the we believe the lie that our problems are, are germane to, to us. But the preacher is right. You are not the first, and you will not be the last person to experience the difficult situation that you find yourself in. And as you read the words in our text, it sounds as though we've heard this story before. We, we've been here before, haven't we? Well, if you're thinking that, you would be right, because we have been here before. This issue has happened in the past, early on in the Exodus, in the same location, the children of Israel had grumbled against Moses and Aaron for lack of water. We find that account in Exodus 17. We, we preached on that account. And, and you remember what happened. The people were thirsty for water. They had run out of water, and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They blamed Moses and Aaron for their situation, but they were really blaming God. But God was gracious to them, and he provided water for them out of the rock. And here we have their children in the same situation, exhibiting the same frustration that their parents exhibited. Now, I'm, if you're like me, you're asking the question, why? What, what happened? Why is this the case? I would suggest that, that, that this happened because there was a lack of obedience. Obedience from the parents and or the children. From, from the parents. Dis, disobedience from the parents. Moses had instructed the people in Deuteronomy 6 that they were to teach their children the statutes and the commandments of the Lord. They were to teach their little ones what God had been teaching them in the wilderness. That there was only one true God, that, that he is holy. But they were also to teach them that, that God was good, that he was a gracious father. And that if they followed the commands of the Lord, that he would provide for them. That he would meet all of their needs. They were to remind their children that they were not to put the Lord, their God, to the test. This is, this is what they learned back in Exodus 17. When they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron because... They didn't have any water. And God provided. And then this is what we read in Exodus 17 and 7. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The place that the children, the congregation finds themselves at was, was there. It was to be a reminder to them not to put the Lord to the test. 
God had been good to them, and, and he was gracious and, and, and merciful. And the people, the people were supposed to tell their children that. When you see this rock that we are at right now, you are to be reminded not to put the Lord to the test, that he would provide, that he would meet your needs. Perhaps they, they failed in communicating this to the next generation because we find their children in the same spot doing the same thing their parents did. Parents, this is a, this is a sobering reminder. Those of us in, a, in authority, those of us who, who teach children, you and I have a responsibility to communicate the commands and the statutes of the Lord to our children. We must warn them and teach them about the lessons that the Lord has taught us. We must tell them of all the wonderful things that the Lord has done. Moses tells them to tell this to their children in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that, they, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. This is our instruction, to tell our children, don't test the Lord. We tested him and failed. Don't test the Lord. Don't put him to the test. Follow his, his commandments. Perhaps the, perhaps the parents were, were disobedient. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But, but something went wrong. So, but if it wasn't the parents, perhaps it was the children, children, there is also a responsibility on your part. The fifth commandment says that children are to obey your parents. Children, when your parents or when people in authority speak the commandments of the Lord to you, you are to listen to them. You are instructed to follow them. So perhaps the parents were obedient and faithfully told their children not to test the Lord, not to put them to the test. But the children failed to listen, and they were disobedient. So perhaps the children were disobedient. What, whatever the case, who, whoever dropped the ball, the issue is that the ball was dropped. One of the parties was disobedient, and it led to frustration because you do realize that disobedience never makes things better. It always makes things worse. If, if you are in a difficult situation, if you find yourself in a difficult situation and you think acting contrary to the commands and statutes of the Lord are going to turn that situation for the good, you are sadly mistaken. Disobedience, brothers and sisters, leads to frustration, and frustration leads to failure. 
every time. In Joshua chapter 7, we see this. Joshua and God's people go up to take Ai, and they are defeated by Ai, and they can't figure out why. They're like, we're stronger than Ai. How can they be de defeating us? They were, in, in a sense, they were frustrated with the circumstances that were before them, and they couldn't figure out why. But God tells them why. Achan was disobedient. Achan had held back some of the things that they were to devote over to destruction. He kept them, and so he was disobedient, and it was leading to Israel's frustration. Oh, Israel's disobedience, either that of the children or the parents, led to frustration at Meribah. But it wasn't just Israel's frustration, their disobedience that led to their frustration. The frustration they were exhibiting was a manifestation of hearts that felt entitled. They felt entitled. The children of Israel are indignant. <laughs> Their, their attitude is revealing that they think they deserve better. Have you brought us all this way for this? There's no water. There's no figs. There's no pomegranates. We, we can't even plant grain in this, in this place. Moses and Aaron, how do you expect us to live like this? We deserve better. That's their attitude. Brothers and sisters, feeling like you are owed something is guaranteed to produce frustration, especially when you don't get what you thought you deserved. Martha, Martha thought she was owed recognition from Jesus. You, you do remember when Jesus came over to Mary and Martha's house, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was in the kitchen. She was busy cleaning up. She was, she was doing the dishes, and she came to Jesus, what? Frustrated because she didn't get the recognition that she thought she deserved. She didn't think that God cared. The older brother thought he deserved the party more than the prodigal son. He was out squandering your money, Dad. And you want to throw him a party? I've been here this entire time. And you're throwing him a party? The, the older brother was frustrated because he didn't get what he thought he deserved. Brothers and sisters, this has plagued, this has plagued Israel throughout the wilderness. They, they just couldn't see. They, they couldn't. They, they, they couldn't remember. They, they kept on forgetting all that the Lord had done for them already, none of which they deserved. Because they couldn't see all, the, at all that the Lord had done, they grew frustrated. And frustration, as I've said, brothers and sisters, leads to failure. And that happened to the children of Israel. They sinned against God. They sinned against God 
by questioning his, his goodness and his purposes for them. They, they tell Moses that it would have been better if God had killed them with those God had, had killed prior to them when they rebelled against Moses. And then they call the place in which God has them evil. Oh, complaining, I, you just can't get a, away from it. Complaining is a sin. And I know, and I know that we have harped on it over the, we've been harping on it over the last couple of weeks, but perhaps the Lord keeps bringing it up in the text for a purpose, for a reason. Sure, I don't know. But what I do know is that frustration that leads to complaining is a sin against God himself because you know what it does? It calls God out of his name. God is good and God is faithful and he is merciful and he is loving and he is, he is patient. He is he, these attributes. God is his attributes. They make up his name. And so to question God as not being any of these, saying that God is not good or that he is not merciful or that he is not patient or that he is, is not kind is to say that he is not true to his name. Oh, they sinned against God by complaining. Israel's frustration led to sin. It led to failure. And let's be honest, this is not shocking, is it? It's not shocking. You read this account and you're like, well, Israel has been stumbling and bumbling their way through the wilderness the entire time. The fact that they got frustrated and failed is just par for the course. They've been doing this throughout the in entire wilderness. But, I, but the next scene... The next scene in our text is shocking. It is both shocking and it is tragic. It's tragic. But I think if we understand it rightly, we will see God and his good purposes on full display. Upon hearing the complaints, the, the quarreling, as the people are quarreling with Moses and, and Aaron, they do, they respond as they always have respond, responded. They take the complaints of the people before the Lord. They go to the tent of meeting, and they fall down on their face as to show humility, to show that they need the Lord. They take the request to the Lord, and he answers them. And here's what he says in Numbers 20 and 8. Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. The people were thirsty. They complained against Moses and Aaron and just as God did with their parents, 
He was gracious and he was merciful and he was going to provide water, a mirac miraculous water from this to come out of this rock to quench their thirst. The same rock, it's the same rock that he brought the water out for their parents. He was going to bring water out of that rock for their children. Oh, this should remind us that, that God is always faithful to his promises. He's always merciful. And so you can, you can be assured that, that when you tell your children that the Lord will provide, that's a good promise. That's a promise they could take to the bank. God will provide. He will meet your needs. He's a gracious God, full of compassion, full, full, full of mercy. And unfortunately, though, we too often are not. And Moses in our text demonstrates the tendencies of the human heart. Here is what I've discovered about the human heart. We love to receive mercy. When we have messed up, when we have made a mistake, when we have offended somebody, we are quick to plead for mercy. Show me mercy, please. But we are not so willing to show it to others. And so while God was eager to be merciful and gracious to the people, Moses got frustrated with them. And, and what we have learned already this morning, frustration leads to failure. Moses gathers the congregation, and this is what he said to the people. Look, Numbers 20 and 10. Hear now, you rebels. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. I mean, you could hear, you could hear Moses' frustration here. And all it did was reveal what was already in Moses' heart. And in fact, the, the psalmist tells us what was in his heart in Psalm 106, 32, 33. Speaking of Moses, they angered him, people of Israel, the congregation, angered him at the waters of Meribah. And it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. What was in his heart came out upon his lips. Moses chastises chastises the people for their behavior, calling them rebels. But here's the thing. God didn't ask Moses to do that. There wasn't supposed to be any commentary along with, with this miracle. But Moses saw this as an opportunity to, in many respects, say what he thought God should have said. Moses 
thought this an opportunity to say what he thought God should have said. We do that, don't we? We like to play the role of Holy Spirit in people's lives. Saying to them what we think God should have said to them. Here was Moses' problem, and it's our problem when we imitate Moses in this situation. Moses thought himself to be more like God than like the people. He forgot that although he was called to be a shepherd to the sheep, he himself was still a sheep. And any time you do that, you are going to find yourself frustrated with people. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you and I need to be careful how we speak to those who have sinned. We must always remember that there but for the grace of God go I. If God doesn't condemn someone but desires to show them mercy, then so should we. James 2.13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You want to judge others without mercy? Go ahead. Judge others without mercy, but then don't expect to receive mercy. That's what James is saying. But the ones who show it, will they themselves receive it? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Moses was frustrated because he put himself in the place of God instead of putting himself in the place of the people. Ah, uh, but that wasn't Moses' only issue. Moses was disobedient. Moses was disobedient. God told Moses and Aaron to gather the congregation and to speak to the rock and that water would come forth. But, but Moses struck the rock. He struck the rock. Now, he had done that in Exodus 17. The Lord told him in Exodus 17 to strike the rock with the staff. He this time said, speak to the rock. You, you may say, well, well, well that's, that's petty. I mean, what's speaking to the rock, hitting, to the, hitting the rock? What, what is, what's the big deal? Well, obedience is a big deal. Moses and Aaron had always been careful to do just as the Lord had commanded. Nothing more, nothing, nothing less. When he first was called to go before the people and tell them that, that he was going to rescue them from Egypt, that the Lord was going to lead them out of Egypt, he was careful to say everything that the Lord had told him to say to the people. When he and Aaron go before Pharaoh, God tells them what to say before Pharaoh. And what do Moses and Aaron say when they get before Pharaoh? Everything that the Lord had commanded them to say. 
when they're on the banks of the, of the Red Sea. The Lord tells Moses, take the staff in your hand and, and stretch it out over the waters, and I will part the Red Sea. What did Moses do? He got to the Red Sea, stretched the staff over the waters, and the Lord planted the, uh, uh, or, or, or um, departed the Red Sea, right? Parted the Red Sea. This time, however, Moses varies from the script. His frustration led to failure. He disobeyed God. Now, I know we, we were harping on that earlier in the disobedience of the people. How much the Lord despises disobedience. But Moses and Aaron's disobedience here should remind us that we are all susceptible to listening to our own voices rather than the voice of God. Parents, elders, deacons, pastors, leaders, we must always be careful to follow what thus says the Lord. If Moses, if Moses, who talked face to face with God, succumb to this sin, how much more we? Oh, God tells Joshua, Joshua 1, as the people are about to go into the promised land, he says, only be strong and very courageous in Joshua 1 and 7. Be careful to doing what? to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Obedience, obedience. Moses put himself in the place of God. He was disobedient, but there was another sin that led God to pronounce discipline on Moses and Aaron. We read this discipline from the Lord in Numbers 12. And the Lord said to Aaron, Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. This is a sober discipline, y'all. Moses' and Aaron's unbelief caused them to miss entering into the promised land. Their, their actions marred the glory of the Lord. Listen to what they say. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And I could imagine the Lord uh, looking at Moses and saying, Who, who's we, Moses? <laughs> who, who's we, right? What, what water out of what rock are you going to bring out of, uh, of, right? Water out of. 
Miracles, brothers and sisters, are the prerogative of God. He was, going, he was going to be the one that was going to bless the, the people. He was going to take care of his children. Moses was simply the messenger. But instead, he attributed the glory to he and Aaron. Shall we, shall we bring water for you out of this, this rock? Oh, not only did he mar the glory of God, stealing it, taking it for he and Aaron, He undermined the sovereignty of God. God planned to bring forth water out of the rock through through the verbal command of Moses, not through the striking of the rock. But Moses decided that he was going to take matters into his own hand instead of trusting the sovereign plan of the Lord. And here's the deal, brothers and sisters. When you mar the glory of God and when you undermine his sovereignty, you are demonstrating unbelief. It's unbelief. You don't trust the plans and the purposes of God and you exhibit disobedience. You mar his his glory. And God does not tolerate unbelief. Moses and Aaron found that out. They wouldn't enter the promised land. They would die in the wilderness. I said at the beginning that this is a, that this is a tragic story. I mean, it, when, you, when, you, when you think about it, it's a sad story. That Moses the one who was called to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses has been the leader of Israel for years. He has been in the wilderness. He, he, saw, he had a vision of seeing the promised land of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. He is put up with this stiff-necked and a hard, hard and headed and, and rebellious, he calls them people. For 40 years. And now, on the bank of going into the promised land, he doesn't get to go in. It's like running 99 yards and going out of bounds at the one-yard line. Can't score the touchdown. Moses wasn't going to get to go in. It's a sad and a tragic story about sin and how, how, how serious and significant it is. But, but it is also a glorious reminder for us if we see it rightly. It's a glorious reminder for us, and I, I, can, I can guarantee it was a good reminder for the original readers of this account. We learn that our trust is not in Moses. It's not in Moses. Moses was a huge figure in Israel. You do realize that. He spoke face to face with God. 
You, you listen to the, the New Testament writers and those in, 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 in first century Palestine. Moses was a hero in their respect. He led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He walked with them through the wilderness. But Moses could not be the savior of the nation. He, his sin at Meribah proved that no matter how great the leader, God's people need a sinless savior. Oh, and here's the reality, and here's the glorious part. Although Moses and Aaron would not enter the promised land in Canaan because, because God sent a sinless Savior. Because of Jesus, Moses and Aaron will enter the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. God would keep his promise to Moses and Aaron to take them into the promised land. He would keep his promise to get them home because he is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This is a tragic account in many respects. But it is a glorious reminder to us that we ought not to put our hope in flawed leaders. They will frustrate you, and that frustration will lead to failure. But I can tell you this, those who put their hope and their trust in Jesus will never fail. He will get you home. He, Jesus, the sinless one. He's the one that takes us into the promised land. And we can take that to the bank because God is trustworthy and faithful. Let's pray.